Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. We'll take a look at the business stories and other stories um, online and in print. Delighted to be joined this morning by Susan Hayes Culleton of Hayes Culleton, aka the Positive Economist, and also uh, by Bob Hoffman of Vista Executive Search. You're both very welcome to the programme. Good morning, Thanks, Bobby. Bobby. Now, um, it's been running for two weeks now, maybe three weeks. We just can't seem to get away from it, Susan. Uh, RTE allows agent star clients cover Doyle Grilling is on the front page of the Irish Independent. It's in all the papers, as always. Um, it wasn't on the RTE News this morning when I was coming in, but the papers just... It, it just... This drip feed of more and more and more is is hugely damaging. We're on day 17 of yeah. this story at this stage and the there's two pieces that we can refer to from Ellen Coyne and Jennifer Bray. And in if I could summarise what we've learned this week, that the Toy Show, the musical, had a 2.2 million euro loss. We had, of course, uh, extensive packed discussions. Um, the Public Accounts Committee, we learned that there's three Bart accounts, not one. We saw the top 100 salaries and the lowest 20. We also found out who the celebrity was that had the loan of the car for five years. And Kira Kelly has now said that the presenter, or Kira Kelly, the presenter of the Tonight Show, has now decided. No, not Kira Kelly. Yes, but be very um, careful. Yeah, exactly. No. Uh, it's Kira Doherty. Sorry, apologies, apologies. Yes, <laughs> okay. that's right. And corrected, um, corrected by me. Noted. And <laughs> but next week, of course, there is the big story, um, which is that on Tuesday we have Noel Kelly and Ryan Tupperty who are going to be in front of the Public Accounts Committee. So the there's a couple of things that are interesting about this, notwithstanding just the fact that the two of them are there, but actually that they will be accompanied by their solicitors, which is deemed an unprecedented step. But also that the Public Accounts Committee will also get a legal brief. Um, so that they act lawfully during their discussions. Well, well, a couple of things about that, Susan. Uh, firstly, it's hard to see any upside for either Noel Kelly or Ryan Tuberty attending a six-hour committee meeting where they can be grilled without any. I, I well, I'm, so I think personally, I think it's a it's a pretty brave uh, decision on both of them to go into that lion's den. Secondly, we saw. Um, when we go back to the the former rehab uh, chief, Angela Kearns, nearly a decade ago, um, again, there was uh, issues around how that was dealt with. By the, so there's been learnings from that. There, there has, and I mean, the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruled accordingly. I think in the in the case of, of Ryan Tuberty anyway, and obviously Noel Kelly as well, is that to have the chance to actually get their side of the story out publicly, it will, I would imagine, be very intense. They'll be grilled like everybody else, but... I think from the point of view of getting his st- side of the story out, he, there's been a huge amount has been said about him. It, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, the point is he needs to be transparent now and say what he wants to say. Well, and, and I think, again, both he and Noel Kelly are there in a voluntary capacity. So I have to say, I, I think fair play to them. Uh, it's not going to be for the faint-hearted. Bob? Look, this is the ultimate uh, soap opera in Irish society um, and I can understand why the whole country's addicted to it. Just to pour a little bit of cold water on the heat in this discussion. There's nothing wrong with earning big money. Uh, anytime anybody ever hears about somebody else who earns more than they, you know, they're, 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 they get a little bit upset and I'm in recruitment so I, I encountered that the whole time. So that's the first thing to say. Uh, RTE is a semi-state so it's got that complicated thin line uh, this mix between having a public remit 
and having a commercial wing. At the end of the day, they must respect that they're spending the public's money and a lot of the things coming out leaves wanting in that regards. It's interesting that um, uh, Ryan is going in. I think he's largely uh, well liked by the Irish uh, business community and the public. Uh, He seems to have not put a foot wrong right up until this. And I don't think he's done a huge uh, error of judgment. Interesting, Claire Byrne, of course, Joe Duffy will be uh, interviewing and covering the story. And yet Noel Kelly uh, negotiated their salaries. But I think they're they're professional enough. That really is uh, a non-issue. I think a lot of people, anyway, we'll move on from it. But there's huge anticipation, I think, Mm. uh, next week. And it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a soap opera. um, And, you know, I think it's almost become, but I think for the serious business that is uh, public broadcasting, it's a a pretty dark day. Yeah, 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 Um, for sure. Um, we'll we'll get positive in a second, Susan, because I know you like positivity. But uh, reading in the Irish Examiner today, we're told that Ireland was the worst hit by tech job losses. Now, um, I, I I think this maybe needs some context around it. Well, yes, because what it hides is, of course, the positive story indeed, Bobby. That for, first of all, I, if I just start off with the the facts that lead up to this. By the end of 2022, 300,000 workers had been laid off around the world. And so this story investigates how Ireland and, and broadly speaking, Europe was affected by this. So it does seem that a lot of the tech companies overhired. Uh, the impact of COVID was, in fact, transitory, whether it was the number of people watching Netflix or engaging with their devices, etc. And from 2020 to 2021, employment in the tech sector expanded 19% in Ireland. It represents 8% of the Irish workforce as well. So we're dealing with very, very significant numbers in Ireland. And of course, yeah. disproportionately high as a percentage of our employment relative to the rest of Europe. But then... Um, Ireland has been the biggest casualty of at 40% of the redundancies in the EU over the past three years. But I was just interested that uh, Padraig Hoare also mentioned the fact that the central bank has said that these job losses aren't a threat to the wider economy. And since since they've started happening, there's a rapid uptake in union membership. I think we need to bear in mind as well, Ireland is now at full employment with unemployment at 3.8%. 2.6 million of us are working. 75% of the people who could be working or who could be in a position of employment are. Yeah. So... In the grand sense of, of the word, I remember being here talking about the job losses when they were happening. They've been absorbed by Irish employment. I was going to put that to you, Bob, as somebody who's in recruitment. In other words, was there other jobs for people maybe who were laid off in this sector? The, the transition from, from either other tech jobs or indeed other jobs completely? We could bring another 100,000 people into the Irish economy and they'd all get a job. Is that I mean, right? You know, there's just so many vacancies out there. So, yes, the short answer. I mean, I'm ex-telecoms 22 years. You know, telecoms is an industry that has quietened in the last decade and a lot of people have left it and moved into the industries that are sort of uh, linked to them, software and, and media organisations. So, look, it's just a trend. And and, and just to put into context, uh, Porik mentions that 5% of the EU uh, European workforce is in IT, but in Ireland it's 8%. That doesn't sound a lot, but it is. We're above uh, the European average for Silicon Valley jobs here in Ireland. We are the Silicon Valley of Europe. And great jobs there. Uh, Long may it last. Exactly. And and they're also doing a great service to the rest of us as well by virtue of the fact that by training the people in the way that they do as when they come out or should they decide to come out then of course it adds other skills to the workforce that San Francisco affect effectively. Yeah. Um, Susan, while I have you there, there's uh, some speculation today in the Irish Independent uh, about a, a story involving 
Kerry Co-op declined to say if board is preparing to revive the dairy, dairy unit deal. And this was a deal that was shelved in 2021. And it's there's some speculation that it could be back on the table. So the board of Kerry Co-op are meeting on Monday to to talk about this. And indeed, it is there's strong speculation about it. Um, I just want to read out one piece of Donald Donovan's article about this in The Independent that says the deal fell down because the co-op owners could not agree terms on their side, including over cashing out PLC shares to fund the move rather than freeing up assets to be available from farmers looking to cash out. Now, I decided to look at the share price in in 2021 and, and in August, now was at its height, but in August 2021, the share price was €125.45 and today it's 87.80. So that'll be interesting to see how that might colour the conversation. Um, but also, this isn't just a straightforward conversation either about selling a part of a business because there is also conversations around the milk prices that would be paid to suppliers, the capital needs. The yeah, some of the shareholders policy. would also be selling milk to the organisation. And um, would be very involved in the, yeah. as being being the co-op shareholders themselves. And also there was overwhelming support of a motion that that these co-op shareholders would um, now need approval for any any investments made over fifty million over the next five years. So there's there's a this is not straightforward at all, and it's quite an emotional thing as well being involved in such a. Well, you're dealing brand. with a large number of interested parties. Let's call it. Can I just make a cautionary tale to the board of this organisation? Sometimes when you sell the family uh, silver. It has a cultural knock-on effect. Think about it. Kerry are thinking about selling their milk and butter division. I leave it there. Sometimes money isn't everything. Yeah. But what's argued in the piece, though, is that it's a small part and that it's a low margin part. I'm sure that's where the the commerciality of this is is being observed. And that's what I mean by there's an emotional and an objective side to this. Yeah. Um, Beer drinking, Bob, uh, is down as people turn to zero alcohol options. Uh, It is quite interesting that, you know, the... Uh, non-alcohol uh, beers are up 25% in sales year on year. It's probably a small enough uh, percentage. But um, uh, that beer sales generally are a third down over the last 20 years. Well, I note you, you directed that question to me because you can see my halo. I haven't had a drink in eight weeks. I'm on one of my diets. But um, listen, I'm an expert in this because I've been looking for an, a low alcohol and mid-strength alcohol products. Um, but yeah, I mean, beer is down 7.8%, but this zero-zero phenomenon is up 25% and 400% over the last five years. Do we all remember the time on the Late Late Show when that man went on and said he was going to sell bottled water and we all thought he was mad. Here we are, the Irish are embracing alcohol-free beer. My memory of some of those um, uh, non-alcohol beers going back 30 or 40 years was they were horrific to drink. The quality of what they have now makes it a very acceptable uh, beverage. It's also, you know, nobody knows whether you're Having a beer or not having a beer. Well, what I like think is... I think they've really come on what leaps think, and bounds. What's interesting when we're looking at, at decades is that over the past 20 years, consumption of alcohol in Ireland has fallen by a third. And I don't think that's necessarily represented in our national brand, <laughs> nor in conversations. But interestingly, that um, and also beer share of the national alcohol market is up uh, to 43.5%, Sarah Collins tells us. And 60% of beer is lager and stout is represented, is represented 35% of that. So, and one last thing on this, of course, given the fact that we had the week of the summer economic statement more than a quarter of the price of a pint goes to the state with 28% in VAT and excise so the wheel turns Yeah, so there's something in it for everybody including the taxpayer Um, Lots of talk about uh, Twitter needles by threads 
Uh, we've an editorial uh, today in the Irish Times, Bob. Um, uh, the square off between uh, Zuckerberg and Musk. Uh, where do you see this going? Yeah, this, this uh, cage fight that they've both agreed to do. Is is this the rematch? Uh, I, now, hands up, I'm a Twitter Luddite. I'll say that straight out. But I do worry, is is this new product, Threads, is this going to be another Mastodon? Isn't that the name of the, the big hope after um, Elon Musk rolled a hand grenade under his own company there six months ago with all the bad press and Mastodon was supposed to be the next big thing and, and that has fizzled away. Facebook is in its decline, thanks to TikTok. So I don't know, is this thread, they're, they're saying that because it is linked to Instagram, who is 1.6 billion users, it's going to have a fast acceleration to start off with. But um, the big the big story for this is uh, we here in Europe are not going to see it because, thank God, uh, with our Helen Dixon, our privacy cop, um, the EU data laws wouldn't allow this product. So it's going to launch everywhere else except Europe. There's a big difference, I think, between Mastodon and, and uh, Threads, and that is because a lot of if I was to set up an account on Mastodon, I'd have to start from scratch. Okay. Whereas, in essence, the fact that you have 1.6 billion on Instagram, they're automatically yeah. there, and all you have to do is push a button. Instagram has been very clever in handling TikTok with Reels, in in handling its filters to compete with Snapchat. I think that indeed this is going to be less of a story here because of the the data protection. But this th- this is a very real threat to Twitter, and I mean we have seen a, a big change this week. Twitter limiting the number of posts that you can see. We can see the long number of texts there and of course the connection the constant connection to Elon Musk this is a bigger threat than anything I think that Twitter has taken on from the point of view of a real rival who can hit the ground and has hit the ground running but I think like Musk overpaid for Twitter he still hasn't worked out the revenue model he's tried various things that haven't worked so this is just this could be the final nail. Well, also, the thing is as well, is that in the case of Threads, it happened seamlessly. I mean, Sarah Vine talks about that, is that the minute that this went live, there was no problems. It just started and it's it's been up and running. Now, as she also mentions, it's lovely and it's full of niceness and people being kind and saying to be nice. We'll see how this goes at the end of the day. A platform is a platform. It's the people that dictate its vibe. Exactly. Uh, the Sarah Vine piece was actually quite interesting. Uh, I thought her sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff was good about... She was basically saying the launch was like arriving at a party that you arrived too early for because you finished work but you don't have time to go home first so you spend the first half an hour just standing awkwardly sipping warm white wine in a corner wearing the wrong shoes wondering whether anyone you know is actually coming or whether you should just scoff as many canopies as you can and cut your losses That's been there <laughs> Either wearing the wrong shoes that tells us a lot about you Bob Now uh, Susan the uh, CIE pension scheme, uh, Some uh, two pieces about it today in today's Irish Times. The chief executive warning uh, of hard decisions if agreed reforms are not made and revenues at the transport operator separately are up 15% even though they reduced prices on a lot of the uh, on a lot of the transportation carriers. What I find interesting about the story Ian uh, Curran covers in the Irish Times today is that a decision was made in 2021 
uh, a tough decision made in 2021 um, and that was to increase the pension age. It was accepted by CIE unions by uh, in 2021 by a ballot of 54% to 46% but it hasn't been implemented and I'm quite struck by that is that if there's if they're saying that you know tough decisions have to be made a tough decision was made and wasn't implemented. I mean the deficit is 396.5 million in, in 2022. Now this is down from 853 million in 2021 but a lot of the work was done on this. The question is why wasn't it implemented and what now for the pension fund thereafter? And also I'd imagine this type of a conversation is being had in many pension funds, particularly there's very rare to see one these days with a defined benefit outcome. And the defined benefit is 50% of final salary and lump sum of one and a half years of pay. And that's a scheme that that originates from 1951. I mean, that just tells you, like, There's very few of those out there today. That is three generations ago, if you actually think about it. Somebody came up with this uh, scheme. I know it's an old statistic from the crash that 50% of the private sector don't even have a pension. One of the big advantages to being a public worker is most of them have platinum pensions. And this is one of them. And the CEO is quite clearly saying, guys, we've got to increase the pension age because uh, it's going to bankrupt the company. Interesting as well to see... Uh I always follow the Cantal and Peace, the kind of, uh, in the Irish Times where they, 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 it's a kind of an unnamed, God knows who writes it. I think it's written by a number of people. But there's a serious typo in their piece where they get a digit wrong. Uh, so it's only at, at three billion. Uh, so if you're reporting on figures and deficits, Please, please get the numbers right, Cantalan. Well, if they can't agree with the unions, <laughs> that figure could be accurate soon. <laughs> um, Susan, um, the average price of a Dublin hotel room is now €209. Um, Firstly, does that headline, when you just read that, you kind of, what's your, what are your immediate thoughts? My immediate thoughts is I'd say there's be a lot of people raising their eyebrows at that and saying, well, that's not been my experience. Yeah. I, I, I certainly know <laughs> from anybody who's coming, let's say, to Dublin for a concert or for a holiday or anything else like that, they're reporting figures of a much higher basis. But it does say hotels in the capital. Uh, Sarah Collins is, is reporting on this. Uh, hotels in the capital saw an average daily rate of €209 Euros in May and that was 3.5% ahead of a previous record in September 2022. I mean, the reality is, is number one, can you get one in, in Dublin? And I would say I was I was a quota line myself in my native Cork a couple of weeks ago. And again, the prices of hotels there. They, I was just thinking of if you were to bring, a, you know, a family back to Ireland, let's say if you were living abroad and wanted to stay in any of our, in our cities around the country, is that it's, it's quite prohibitive. It really yeah. is. Uh, also, the, the stock, the amount of hotel stock available. Uh, also, they sell, they pre-sell to the booking engines. Uh, and sometimes the hotels themselves lose control of the price that's been charged in that in that they've sold it on to a to a third party but it's it's a perfect storm <clears throat> ireland is just a really sexy destination and then dublin a mixture between business uh, occupancy and tourism it's just the in place to be and then you've got the the block booking by the state for the refugees which we have to do we have to put them somewhere so between those two you just have a supply and demand crunch interestingly the, uh, the cbre report says the trend of offices being considered for hotel conversion is an emerging one. Right opposite my office on Harcourt Street is the Ivy Garden Hotel. Um, I think that was the Taylor Swift Hotel, if I'm not mistaken. But that used to be an office. It's very easy to switch them from an office to a hotel. The Mespel Hotel on 
the canal used to be the Department of Labour. That's right, actually. You're right. Uh, so, so maybe that's a trend. And that 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 was that that's a hotel a long number of years. Yeah. And there is some value, Susan, though, as Cantlin is pointing out, just to balance the story maybe slightly, for Americans uh, being targeted in Ireland. Yeah, so what it ma- mentions here is that for people living on the other side of the Atlantic for a six-night trip to Ireland, um, and that would include particularly re- having accommodation outside of Dublin, is that the, uh, they, for flights and economy, Carahar for the duration, accommodation, Cavan, Roscommon, Donegal and the Dublin area, which was actually done by <laughs> Castle, all for €820, Euro, which is remarkable value, even though that there's a lot of moving around. I mean, people who are, who are coming over from the US, of course, with the Wild Atlantic, way with the ancient eats and ancient east because there's two and um, like there the I think that there has been a big drive towards driving people out around the country I suppose that again we're back to the to the key point here though is that the availability needs to be there and at a reasonable rate I mean Ireland is a super super place to go on holidays it's just to make sure that we are as you say balancing the story yeah yeah very good um Bob, are you are you into the tennis? Are you following the um, tennis? I am a little bit, <clears throat> but this lad uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the Spanish player, I haven't heard much about him. He's posing here in a pair of Dunn Stores <laughs> Y fronts and standing beside his BMW. I don't know if Noel age uh, Noel Kelly is his agent, but uh, Louis Vuitton has snapped him up. Calvin Klein, oh sorry, maybe they're Calvin Klein knickers. BMW, Rolex, um, a, ho- a, a suntan lotion company. I think he's wearing loads of the suntan lotion. He's very pleasant on the eye for the lady but I've never heard of this guy uh, but I love the text his moody good looks helps him amass hundreds of thousands of social media fans Well Best he's only him. 20 uh, he's yeah. the youngest world number one to play at Wimbledon since Boris Becker in 1987 yeah. so he clearly has a, a wonderful future ahead of him um, he's got 2.6 million Instagram followers, Susan. You see there, he'll be on thread shortly now. There you go, you see. Uh, yeah, and with 20 million in the bank. I, now, I'm, I I never knew how moody equaled good looking myself, but best to look to him. Yeah, smouldering is another adjective they throw out. He also, uh, just again to close out on him, he, uh, his main job, which was Wimbledon yesterday, Alcaraz won his second round match, 6-4-7-6-6-3 over Alexander Muller of France. So... He's winning games as well. Interesting how you call that his main job, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> main job. Uh, well, I listen. I'd like to thank my guests, uh, Susan Hayes, call it, and indeed uh, Bob Hoffman. Thank you for a great review of the papers and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks, Bobby. Down to business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at eleven on News Talk.